Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, why don't you join me in the book of Job, right before the book of Psalms, the book of Job. And we'll begin in chapter uh, 13, and uh, then we'll make our way back to the first chapter of Job. Early in the morning of August the 29th, 2005, Hurricane Katrina struck the Gulf Coast of the United States with sustained winds of anywhere from 100 to 140 miles an hour. It stretched some 400 miles. While the storm itself was created a great deal of damage, the aftermath of that storm was catastrophic. 1,833 people lost their lives. Many of those died as the result of the levees failing, which allowed a massive amount of flooding. One resident of Biloxi, Mississippi, her name was Carlotta Bennett. She and her husband, Clayburg and their three children survived the floodwaters by crawling up into their attic. Their house was swept off its foundation because of the, the waters. And to make matters worse, the, the wind was ripping sections of the roof off. Carlotta felt like They were all going to die. And that's when their four-year-old daughter looked at her mom and said, Mama, you got to calm down. Let's pray. And the whole family joined hands, started praying. And when they finished praying, the waters started receding. When the family scrambled down the attic stairs, they saw that just about every exit was blocked. And so Clayburg led his wife and three children out through a window and through much debris to a local middle school. And when they got to the middle school, they joined 350 plus people who had already made their way there and and were, were staying there. Over time, the living conditions became dangerously unhealthy. And so the Bennetts and others, after being there five days, moved out into the parking lot where they lived for another five days. With their world in disarray, the Bennetts and other destitute families began to pray for a miracle. In the face of such suffering, choosing faith was the only thing they knew to do. Many thousands of years Before the Bennetts and others chose faith in the midst of their suffering, 
A man named Job did the very same thing. As we will see in a moment, in one afternoon, he lost his ten children and all of his wealth. And not long after that, he was afflicted with a horrid skin disease. But in spite of of what he lost, he kept his faith. Let me show you. Look at verse 15 of chapter 13. Job said this, though he slay me, that is even if God chooses to take my life, look what he said, I will trust in him. Thanks to Job's example, many believers have been able to maintain their faith in God in the midst of of some unimaginable suffering. And we, we are often encouraged by stories like Job's and have often been instructed through the scriptures by various men of God of what faith can do. But seldom, if ever, have we been made to realize that there are some things That even the greatest faith cannot do in the midst of suffering. And that's what I want to address in this message this morning. With the Lord's help, I'm going to offer you a very simple outline. We're going to begin by considering three things that faith won't do for someone who suffers. And then we're going to close with three things that faith will do. So let's begin with this reality this morning. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering will not alleviate the pain. If you still have your Bible open, make your way back to Job chapter 1. I want to read verses 13 through 20 if I can. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen. But Job chapter 1 and verse 13. And there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said the oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants excuse me, with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, do you see what's happening here? Have you ever heard somebody say, man, it just seems like it's one thing right after another. Well, this is how it was. This was literally one thing right after another. Before one messenger left, the other was there with more bad news. Look in verse 17. While he was yet speaking. There cometh yet also another and said, 
The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And here it is again, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's home. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Verse 20, then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. Job was nearly crushed by the pain of suffering. He tore his robe and he shaved his head and he sat down in the ashes when he heard that his children had died. Then you drop down to chapter 2 and verse 7. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal. And he sat down among the ashes. Not only did Job suffer the losses that we read about in chapter 1, but he also lost his health. The physical pain was so bad that he took up pieces of broken pottery and began to scrape himself. And yet in the midst of such pain and heartache, Job said this in verse 21, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 10 of chapter 2. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job chose faith. But it did not alleviate the pain. This past Monday, Katie and I yet again stood at the foot of the the gravestone of our oldest son who died four years ago in just a freak accident when he was underneath his pickup in his driveway. And as we stood there grieving as though it had happened four days ago and not four years ago, We were reminded of this very truth. Faith does not alleviate the pain. Listen, I believe that we can both say with with all of our hearts and and with all honesty that we have, have chosen to trust God through all of this. And we have done our best to honor Him through all of this. But it's done nothing To take away the pain of our loss. Faith won't do that. A second thing choosing faith will not do is eliminate the questions. In the book of Job, 
two chapters of great faith are followed by 35 chapters of great questions. But Job is not the only one to ever question God during suffering. Listen, some of the greatest men and women of faith had questions for God. David, I think you would agree, was a great man of faith. But there were numerous times that he questioned God right there in the Psalms. He questioned God when he seemed to be distant. He questioned God when he felt forsaken by him and when he felt like God had forgotten about him and when he felt like God was hiding from him. There was even a time when, when, when he felt like God had maybe fallen asleep and so he questioned God. He questioned God when he felt like injustice was going to be permitted to go on unpunished. And besides David, Moses questioned God in Numbers 11, as did Jeremiah in chapter 12, as did Habakkuk in chapter 1, as did the apostles in John chapter 9. And then perhaps the greatest example of all of of the man who personified faith and trust in God, the Lord Jesus Christ, hung on the cross. And in the midst of all of his suffering, he asked, my God, my God, help me church, why hast thou forsaken me? John Kitchen said, why is the first and greatest question of the suffering soul? Our why questions allow us to go before our Heavenly Father and pour our heart out to Him. And please be helped by this this morning. Just, listen, just because you have questions doesn't mean you don't have faith. Thirdly, choosing faith in the midst of suffering will not create a logical explanation for your suffering. The book of Job presents one of the most unusual pictures in all of the Bible. On two separate occasions, the God of all the universe entertained an audience with Satan. The subject of their conversation was a nearly flawless man, Job, and how he might be tortured. One writer described it as a test fit for the Roman Colosseum, as God himself takes a seat to see how much of a beating the overpowered one can take. Now let's be honest this morning. We don't like anything about Job's story. We don't like God having a conversation with the enemy. We don't like God watching from the sidelines. We don't enjoy the indescribable pain and suffering that Job had to endure. I mean, nothing about this story seems to make sense. And it certainly isn't satisfying in any way. But that's part of the point. So much suffering 
doesn't make sense. How do you make sense of a 35-year-old father of three being taken from them and his wife left to answer questions like, Mommy, when is Jesus going to fix Daddy and bring him home? How do you make sense of a deranged 18-year-old Walking into an elementary school and savagely executing 19 children and two teachers. If you can make sense of that, please get with me after the services. Because I can't. In our minds... Life ought to be like it's described in the first four verses of of chapter 1 of Job. And we'll not not go back and read it. But but if you do, you're going to find that Job was married. He served God. He was well respected. He was more than comfortable financially. And mom and dad, check this out. All of his kids grew up to love each other. Hallelujah. I mean, that's the life that we all want, right? I mean, if we're going to serve God and we're going to honor God and we're going to walk with God. I mean, that's the kind of life that we want. But all too often, our dreams of life collide with the realities of life. And we find ourselves living a nightmarish existence of things like grief and hardship and misfortune and illness and crisis and tragedy and so many other undesirable things. I submit to you this morning that even in the midst of the worst of times, Faith is still the best option. Even if it appears to be the illogical choice. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering as Job did looks like insanity to those who were watching. I mean, it looked insane to Job's friends. And it surely didn't make any sense to his wife. I mean, her only lines in the whole narrative are found in chapter 2 and verse 9, where she asked him, Doth thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Listen, a lot of things about faith don't make sense to those outside the family of faith. But despite all of the reasons why Job might not have chosen faith in the midst of his suffering, he chose faith anyway. And it didn't alleviate the pain. And it didn't create a logical explanation for what was going on. In his life. 
And it didn't eliminate his questions. And I think sometimes we as, as preachers can stand in the pulpit and just tell people, hey, just trust God, it's going to be okay. Just live by faith and it's going to be okay. And four years down the line, it's still not okay. Your heart still hurts. And your mind still questions. And your soul still aches. But preacher, I've chosen faith. I've chosen to trust. So there are some things that faith will not do. But there are some things that faith will do. Let's look at that from the life of Job. The first thing I would say this morning is that choosing faith in the midst of suffering will remind you that God is in control. When we choose faith, we are declaring our trust in the very God who allows the difficult circumstances in the first place. Remember what Job said, though he slay me, Yet will I trust in him. When we look carefully at Job's story, we find that the only being in complete control of all of the events is God. Now let me insert this right here. You need to understand this this morning. Choosing faith doesn't allow God to be in control. It acknowledges that he is in control. And has always been and always will be in control. Study the conversations between God and Satan. I'm telling you, Job would have struggled with him as much as we do. He he wouldn't have liked it at all. Nor would it have made sense to him. But there's no doubt that the conversations were crystal clear to God. He wasn't tricked by Satan. He didn't misunderstand. God carefully weighed the options. He considered the ramifications. And he made a choice. At no time did he lose control. Though suffering doesn't make sense. And faith in the midst of suffering seems to make even less sense. Church, listen. Placing your life in the hands of the only God who can take care of you in this world and the next is ultimately the only logical action a person can ever take. The second thing that choosing faith and suffering will do is it will present a rare gift. It will be a rare gift to God. If you're still in chapter 1, look at verse 20 again. Then Job arose and ran his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground. Look at, look at it, church. And worshipped. What an amazing response. Hey, hey, hey. Anybody, anybody can praise on a good day. Right? And we've all done it. And we've all done it. 
But it takes a person of tremendous faith and tremendous spiritual maturity to sing those same songs of praise on the bad days. But oh, listen, listen. If you can pull that off, then you will give God a precious gift of worship that may be unlike any gift you will ever give him again. Job was wise enough to know that the God who controlled the good days also controlled the bad days. Beyond that, Job learned a a lesson that must be remembered in a time of suffering, and it's this. Nothing about your present circumstances, be they good or bad, have changed the first thing about the nature of God. God is the same today as he was yesterday and as he will be tomorrow. And he is always worthy of our praise. Always worthy of our praise. In the midst of Job's story, he makes a statement that very well could have been the one thing that helped him keep it all together. And it's found in chapter 19 and verse 25 where Job said this, For I know... I love this. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand on the earth in the latter day. Understanding how bad Job had it when he spoke these words is what makes them so memorable to us and such a precious gift to God. Job had faith that one day the Lord would come in righteousness bringing peace and restoring everything that's lost. And Job wasn't the last to give the gift of worship in the midst of pain. Paul and Silas did it too. Remember their story over there in the the, the New Testament, over in the epistles? On their first visit to Philippi, they were wrongly accused and severely beaten and they were put into stocks and they were thrown into prison. But as the story goes, Acts chapter 16, at midnight, they began singing songs of praise. Listen, to the very same God who'd let them go through what no doubt seemed to them to be a Job-like day. That single day of suffering, coupled with the way two faith-driven men reacted to that suffering, created a church in Philippi. That literally helped change the world. It was one of the greatest gifts either of those men had ever given their Savior. And had they missed the opportunity, they would have never had such a great harvest in that community. 
Listen to me this morning. Even in the midst of your suffering, you're also in the midst of an incredible opportunity. And if you can worship now, the gift you give may be more valuable than it has ever been or ever will be. Listen, listen, standing together and corporately singing from our hearts, how great is our God. It has got to be music to his ears. But even greater than that is in the midst of our suffering for us to be able to stand and raise our hands and our hearts toward heaven and sing, how great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Well, that's easy to sing when life's good. But I'm telling when you, when you and I can sing that from our hearts in the midst of suffering, we are presenting to God a very, very precious gift. And here's a final thought about choosing faith in the midst of suffering. It will result in a never-before closeness to God. To quote John Kitchen again, our deepest encounters with God may come wrapped in the deepest pains of life. Though he didn't know it yet, Job was on his way to the most intimate encounter with God that he would ever have in his lifetime. Through the season of suffering that had fallen upon him, he was starting a short journey that would lead to his greatest understanding of who God was. Listen to what Job said at the end. And this is so incredible. Job said, I'd I'd heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now that I've gone through this, mine eyes seeth thee. Listen, can I just be honest with you this morning? For so many years of my preaching ministry... I preach God is good and you can trust God and God is faithful and have faith and, 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 and all of the things that the Bible says about God that are true. And, and I, I preached them all and tried to encourage God's people and help God's people. But it wasn't until the days following February the 6th, 2018. That those things that were up here were in here. You see, all that time they were theory. I mean, they were they were they were true, but but they became different when we had to start living what we had been preaching. They moved from here. To hear. And that's what Job said. He said, Man, I've heard so much about you. 
But he said, now I know you in a way that I had never known you before. And I promise, I promise if you can follow the, the pattern of Job's life, you'll come to that place. We love to read the Psalms and even sing the Psalms around here from time to time. Do you realize that those, many of those were born straight out of David's season of suffering? And then we've got the, the disciples who learned more about God through the week and the weekend of, of his crucifixion than they had ever learned before. And ever since that glorious event, listen, those who have suffered and looked for God have been finding hope in the Savior who died for them. So a very simple outline today. But I hope that it's provided some very helpful truth. Choosing faith, I'm just being honest with you. It's, it's not going to alleviate the pain. And it's not, it's not going to eliminate the questions. And it's not going to create some logical explanation for why you're going through what you're going through. But what it will do is it will remind you that even though everything else seems out of control, God is still in control. And it will provide you an opportunity to present a very rare gift to God. And finally, it will result in a never before closeness to Him. As our musicians come, I believe there are a number of appropriate responses to the message this morning. First and foremost, for, for anyone who has not yet found their hope in Jesus Christ through a personal relationship with Him, I invite you to come and let us guide you in making that decision. There are any number of people here this morning whose testimony is this. I was at the lowest point of my life when I came to Christ. And that can be your story today. And for those of you here this morning who can relate to this message more than you would like to be able to because of present suffering, I'm sorry. I hate that. I really do. I wish there was something I could say that would, would just make everything better. Better for you and better for a lot of other people. Listen, the pain of losing our oldest son was greater than anything I can even begin to describe. But all the help that we have received from the Lord is greater than I could even begin to explain. And he can do the same for you. And in this, I want you to really listen to me here. If your present suffering 
has brought confusion and doubt. And you feel like it's leading to a disconnect between you and God. Because he hasn't met your expectations. I pray that you'll do something about that this morning before it's too late. I would ask you today to just come and humbly bow and say, Lord, God, help my faith. God, thank you for reminding me today that you are in control. As much as I hurt, you're still in control. And then no doubt there's some here this morning who, who right now life's good. Praise the Lord for that. I mean that. Praise God for that. But here might be your response today. You would come and pray for someone who's not living that reality. And you know it. And maybe you'd want to take a, a step beyond that. And maybe they're here today. And if the Lord would lead, you'd just take a moment and go to them or meet them at the altar. Maybe two or three people gather around a brother or sister in Christ who you know is really going through it right now. And just pray for God's sufficient grace to be their reality. Would you stand with me today, every head bowed and every eye closed?